0: This is the CannaCurio podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases.
1: Thanks for joining the Cannabis Media podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Ed, since the last time we spoke, wanted to check in. How's the data team holding up during quarantine?
2: The data team's doing fine. Um, Since Larry and I founded Cannabis Media five years ago, we've always been a virtual company. So the researchers have always worked that way. And, you know, as a result, in addition to you know dealing with the, the craziness that uh, the quarantine is, has, has uh, put upon us all, at least their work is kind of a steady thing that they've been able to do really without missing a beat. So we are doing uh, we're doing just fine. How about the sales team and, and, and uh, the outreach to the trade associations?
1: You know what? We are moving and grooving. Uh, being the remote platform that we are, uh, it has been uh, proven to be a really helpful tool for our current subscribers as well as uh, for our, our prospects. And you know, I've had I've been fortunate enough to have a, a lot of good traction and hope to continue that that momentum moving forward. Um, Great. But yeah, bringing it back to the data vault, though. Uh, I know you talked about digging into Q one uh, in data from yeah the Q one. What have
2: you found? So uh, what we're doing this week is digging into dispensary and retail licenses, because everybody likes to track that it's point of sale. It's it's where the rubber hits the road. It's where consumers actually consume and buy. So we've been looking back uh, at the first quarter to see where were the licenses created. And we've seen about 380 licenses that are new this uh, this quarter, Oklahoma, is by far the leader with 155 of those licenses. But a surprise, second place is Michigan, followed by California um, as well. So. Not a surprise. I think it's still interesting that Oklahoma continues to crank out dispensaries. I don't know how many more the state can actually consume since they've already got uh, several thousand in what is a rather small population. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. It does appear, though, that the numbers are not as great as in past quarters. So. Perhaps we're reaching a saturation point, but uh, I think I said that last quarter, so eventually I'll be right, but uh, I think we're going to get there shortly. The other thing that we've been working on is looking at all the ways that our customers can reach the marketplace beyond an email address. You know, a lot of people try and use email as their sole contact point to the cannabis economy. And we're just trying to help people realize that there are a lot of other ways to interact with uh, the different license holders we tallied up in the data vault and found that we have over 50,000 different social media contact points, you know, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Leafly, websites. We also have over 45,000 phone numbers and a lot of people find that as a great way to, to reach the market. And then lastly, we also spend a good amount of time, you know, our research team, curating news stories that either describe what may be happening in a state that's significant or and more interestingly, if they correspond to a particular license or company, you know, for example, recently Cureleaf bought three Connecticut uh, dispensaries. So we've got a new story in there that tags it right to those records. So you can see Cureleaf, the company purchased Arrow in Connecticut, and we list all the Arrow licenses. So for people who are doing research before they you know, reach out to some of these licenses, we've got a lot of stories there that can help you be way more informed as you make those contacts.
1: Yeah, it's actually how I like to start my morning. I'll have my cup of coffee or rather my tea. I've switched to tea now, but I'll have my tea and I'll go into the platform and I'll check out all the, the new updated stories that have come through over, overnight. Um, and, and it really is a great way to stay informed. Uh, and I'm you know, glad to see we are, that this is the type of data that we're, we're pulling to highlight because it really is a great way, uh, again, to stay informed. But thank you. Yeah, thanks for the update, uh, Ed. Um, So on today's show, we'll be joined by Nick Tennant, the founder and chief technology officer of Precision Extraction Solutions. Stay tuned.
0: Precision Extraction Solutions is the industry leader in cannabis extraction equipment, technology, lab planning, compliance, and training. Whether you're just starting in the extraction business or a seasoned veteran, Precision offers the equipment and experience you are counting on Precision offers cutting-edge solutions for cannabis and hemp processors at every stage of growth. Learn why more award-winning concentrates are made with Precision than any other brand. Inquire now at precisionextraction.com.
1: Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, we're joined by Nick Tennant, the founder and chief technology officer of Precision Extractions. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So uh, how are you doing? How's everything going?
3: Uh, I'm doing well. Um, The company's doing well. And, uh, you know, we still have our entire staff working and everything is uh, bright and sunny as it can be. Anyways, Um, obviously, we're a little bit impacted by the current situation, but our overall sentiment is very bullish.
1: Uh, I'm I'm happy to hear that that's a really positive uh, on uh, kind of a dark time but so to give our viewers our subscribers some background uh, on yourself uh, how long have you been in the industry
3: sure yeah I've been in the industry 15 years so um, I got started uh, back first in you know 2005 2006 um, in California and Colorado I had some family out there so you know just getting my first exposure to the industry and then through um, 2007, 2008, you know, really getting my hands a little uh, a little more dirty in the industry through California and Colorado, specifically in Colorado, as they were kind of coming online. And then obviously my home state here is Michigan. So in uh, 2008, we had our medical laws pass. Uh, so I began uh, getting uh, quite a bit of exposure and cannabis became my only and primary business at that time. So whether it was growing, uh, retail operations, consulting, you know, industrial scale, large grows, uh, basically every niche that you could ever think of, I've worked in in the industry. And about six or seven years ago um, is when we saw the trend moving towards extracts and executed on that trend. And that has been uh, one of our most successful ventures yet.
2: Well, congratulations on that. And it's always great to find people who've been in the industry for a long time when we were building our company, we started to go to trade shows and whatnot, and, and we came up with a market segmentation that was people who are kind of curious or kind of serious, and I definitely put you in the kind of serious. Uh, well, we even came up with one for kind of clueless, people who didn't know what they didn't know. Um, but uh, you know, working with folks such as yourself uh, you know, really helps the industry uh, grow because you've got such depth of experience. Um, I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit more about Precision Extraction Solutions, especially what makes you guys unique, in addition to the the length of time that you guys have been serving the industry.
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Precision Extraction Solutions is a company that uh, I founded uh, seven years ago now. And basically, when we founded the company, uh, our primary focus was to build the best technology, the best extraction equipment possible to be able to extract, extract the Uh, essential oils the terpenes etc from the cannabis plant and so what happened is I looked at the technologies at the time and they were very primitive so we engineered our first generation one model which was the px1 and took it to market and did really really well with it and since then precision's transformed into a more full service uh, firm when I say full service meaning we don't just design and engineer the equipment but we actually come out, we install the equipment, we train your staff, um, we ensure that the businesses that we're doing business with or the businesses that are our clients are ultimately going to be successful because they are armed with our depth of knowledge. So it's not only myself in the company that you know has over a decade of experience, we have several individuals that were pioneers in the industry um, and a, a very strong technical and R&D team. So, you know, the end-to-end integration is, I think, huge for us. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. a huge value adder for our for our clients. And I think that, you know, that's one of the, the biggest um, advantages for us in the industry is having that depth of knowledge, you know, the end-to-end integration and the ability to really um, work with our clients to ensure their success.
2: Uh, interesting. Now, one of the things I learned about your company is that you offer compliance and training services as kind of a modular or part of your suite of offerings to the market. And I was curious, is that a, a an offering that is attractive to new markets where they kind of don't know what they don't know, mature markets or, or both like, you know, who signs up for that?
3: Yeah. So we see a variety of clients, definitely new markets are, um, a big consumer of the compliance and training. Obviously, um, the less experienced people are in the industry, the the more guidance that they need. But I would say that you know this market particularly is very dynamic. Um, cannabis and hemp, in fact, are both constantly changing in terms of the regulations, the market dynamics, um, consumer trends, uh, the regulatory factors surrounding you know the FDA that are going to come down and GMP regulations in the hemp space, uh, the, re- the regulatory factors and the differences of those. Um, you know, from a state to state basis, those are also uh, issues that our clients have to deal with all the time, um, including building codes, et cetera. So all of those um, kind of add into this perfect mix of uh, different clients need different things. Um, so uh, mm-hmm. hopefully that answers your question, on, you know, the thoroughness.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, you touched on hemp, which is uh, one of the topics I wanted to ask you about. So as we've been covering the hemp market for, I think we're in our third year now, what we found is that the dynamic seems to be different. It's very much an agricultural market. Most of the license holders that we see on the cultivation side are farmers. They farm lots of stuff. Hemp just happens to be one, at least in some cases. So uh, we've also seen a lot of uh, news stories in States where there isn't enough processing capacity, people uh, you know are growing a lot of uh, a lot of hemp, but don't have a way to process it. So I'm curious, how is this market similar or different to cannabis for you? Is it is it a big piece of what you do, uh, or is it a growing piece? And what kind of dynamics do you see at play?
3: Sure, absolutely. So um, last year in 2019, it was a nice chunk of our business. Obviously, there was a big boom in the hemp industry due to uh, the farm bill, so that was definitely something that that we addressed and we did really well with. We we worked to launch our industrial line of extraction equipment, which was the KPD series. You know, which is primarily geared towards hemp because it starts at three thousand pounds a day of processing and can go as much as two hundred thousand pounds a day of processing. So we did we did well with that. Uh, the hemp market dynamics are very unique. Uh, there was a lot of what I would call speculators last year and it, mm. it led to a massive upsurge. Uh, the problem is, is that the FDA is kind of dragging their feet on regulating the hemp industry. So I think a lot of people are confused in terms of which way is this gonna go right now. I also see a lot of consolidation in the industry with larger scale operations and us having put out larger scale production. So the, the bottleneck and the processing is going away. Uh, effectively, the market prices of the commodities extracted from hemp Meaning whether it's the crude oil or the CBD or mm-hmm. um, you know the distillate or any products thereof, but those commodities uh, essentially are are diminishing in value um, to a point where they're they're more stable now. Obviously, you don't have you know six thousand dollar kilos of uh, CBD isolate. It's you <laughs> know more like eight hundred to thousand right now, depending on contract size. So I think that from a from a price um, a price action standpoint the market is stabilized. I think that if you're in the, the CBD business and you're running at some sort of scale, you know, it's, it's like any other business in, in manufacturing. If you're a processor, um, you can target say between a 15 to 30% EBITDA and, you know, have a very successful business depending mm-hmm. on how you write the contracts and scale. But over the long term, um, the hemp market will come back. It will come back once the regulations come forward, so to speak and really have some um, some guidance for everybody in the industry.
2: Right. I mean, I I think for a commodity market to function effectively, there needs to be some consistency and uh, less volatility in terms of regulation and and maybe even a harmonization of regulation. So people know like, all right, this is what it's going to be like looking forward. So speaking of looking forward, um, last question I want to ask you is Any new product launches, new markets or initiatives that uh, Precision is going to be looking to put forward in the coming, you know, 6, 12, 18 months?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we pride ourselves on innovation. Number one, it's one of the key things that we focus on. Um, We're always looking at new markets. We're always looking at new initiatives. We have, uh, you know, a team of over a dozen people that only focus on those particular topics. Uh, I can't give you all of the, the details of the special sauce, but um, of some of the things that are interesting to us are um, obviously the European Union market. Um, we're anticipated to have you know an 87 billion dollar retail market by 2028. So you know, effectively, once that gets momentum over there, that will come online, and that'll be a big, uh, a big driver of of what's going on in the global marketplace in terms of cannabis sales, and. You know, the second thing that we really focus on is our IP, Um, coming up with new novel processes. We have a research and development and science team that is specifically working on process improvement and integration, Um, whether that's, you know, like an instantaneous winterization process, which we just released, whether it's, you know, something like our TSEP process, which is complete separation of THC from CBD, crude oil and extracts, Um, whether it's alternative methods of purification Um, That that replace distillation to get into the high 90 percentile of purity without distillation. These are all things that we're building a a robust IP portfolio. We're looking at new markets um, and we're adapting to uh, existing market trends in order to keep our business uh, doing well
1: that's fantastic uh, Nick and so you know in terms of you know kind of outreach and communication with the industry you know obviously you guys have been a, a cannabis media user a subscriber for for quite a few years here um, you know so what are some of the ways that you and your team utilize cannabis media and how does this compare to other sales tools you've used uh, to address the industry before
3: sure so I think we use um, we use you guys as much as possible and I apologize because I'm not the the guru when it comes to marketing. You know, our marketing director knows a lot more than I do. But uh, what I can tell you is that we take every opportunity that Cannabis Media provides to us to execute on um, any, any outreach. On top of that, obviously, taking the opportunities to get face-to-face with people at trade shows and use other marketing platforms. Um, I think that you have to be... Uh, rather diverse and rather robust in this industry there's a lot of noise um so anything that you can use such as cannabis media to your advantage to do things like this podcast or or outreach to your client base uh, i think it's really really advantageous because if you have specialized knowledge or you are an expert in the industry or you are running a good company um, these platforms show uh, the expertise, and and people really look towards that type of guidance and understanding in the industry because there are so many new entrants.
1: Understood. And so how does your team address the, uh, the current work-from-home remote uh, work style from a, a sales perspective, Nick?
3: Sure. So from a sales perspective, it's pretty easy. I mean, our salespeople can work remotely no matter what, um, so that's exactly what everybody's doing. Um, our company is currently uh, on a work from home basis, except for our essential employees, meaning our warehouse guys um, and a couple key uh, finance employees in the office. So we're obviously respecting social distancing, um, working with the appropriate uh, you know personnel boundaries, um, using the proper procedures in terms of masks, sanitization, et cetera, in the office, but um, you know, Right now, out of our 63 employees, we're talking about you know only six or seven of them actually being in the office. So we're at a 90% work from home. Um, we've been using um, Microsoft Teams platform similar to Zoom as most people have been. And uh, in terms of getting work done, it's been really, really uh, efficient, actually.
2: Great, great. So looking once again at some of the trends, um, I learned that you called the focus on extraction products... Early on, and and it's really um, been uh, a focus for how people are consuming. Do you still see that continuing? And what will that mean for your business? Obviously, if uh, extraction-based products really continue to carry the day.
3: Sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward because um, what's great about this industry is that you know each state, I would say, Ed operates like its own kind of microeconomy on its own timeline when it comes to cannabis.
2: It's a sovereign nation is how I look at it.
3: <laughs> yeah, something something of that nature. So with that being said, um it's almost like we have the historical data of each individual market ahead of new market entrance. So with all that being said, circling it back into your question here. The point of that is that we can see the trend in mature states move from flour and consumption of flour to consumption of extracts. And all that data is readily available at our fingertips. So, understanding consumer trends and how those consumers behave as they become more educated um, and have more products from a retail standpoint available to them basically paints a picture of of what's going to happen with the extraction industry. So we're extremely bullish on the extraction industry. If you look at progressive markets or well-established markets, in most instances, um, extracted products account for over 50% of retail sales. In some instances, they're up to 70% of retail sales. There's just not a lot of people smoking flour in in progressive markets.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some of the analysis by usually like BDS analytics or headset, where they show how that changes. And I think over time as those markets mature, that uh, product consumption changes often by age group, et cetera. So it, it, it is interesting to, to, to watch and it's something, as I said, that you picked up on early. Now, in terms of markets, over the last six months, Missouri has been a big story where they had thousands of applicants and they issued you know, all their licenses over the December uh, timeline. And now we've got uh, West Virginia that uh, just talked about who their applicants are. So some of those people are going to be processors, extractors, manufacturers. How do you approach a, a new market like that, like one that's about to come on? And, and, and what does your team do to, to get ready and, and, and work to be successful?
3: Sure. Uh, again, without giving away all the secret sauce, um, we're constantly looking at the same data that you are perhaps different data that's telling the same story. Um, so we know when the states are coming on, there's usually a lot of grassroots organizations and things like that, that help push these laws through that. Um, mm. it, it really depends to add on, um, what the specific construct is in the state. For example, Ohio and Pennsylvania had a more, um, I would say, closed construct with a limited amount of licenses. Right. So those license holders were easy to reach. They were easier to contact, um, very uh, straightforward to figure out. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that the, the larger amount of license holders doesn't represent an equally large or even better opportunity. And, and what we do is identify those license holders. And we're absolutely, you know, reaching out to these new markets well in advance of Of them coming online. So it's something that we're always looking at. We're always monitoring and we're always trying to uh, to try to get in uh, pole position.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great approach. And I think it's certainly one that will uh, lead to future success um, as uh, as these new markets come on board.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. It really was a pleasure to learn more about uh, precision extraction and and yourself, and we look forward to hopefully seeing you guys uh, after quarantine at another trade show, maybe next year. But uh, we thank you so much for joining us today.
3: I would look forward to it, and we'll see you then.
1: So, Ed, what's coming up next?
2: Well, the data team, now that the first quarter's over, is going to be going through a variety of reports to take a look at what happened in Q1. So at the top of the pod, we talked about what's happening in retail. Next week, we're gonna dig into the cultivation licenses for the first quarter. Uh, The quick look shows that over 1700 licenses were issued and to nobody's surprise, they virtually all came from California and Oklahoma. Those two states were responsible for 93% of the new licenses issued. Uh, California is still the leader, kind of edging out Oklahoma. And uh, the interesting thing about Oklahoma though, is it does seem that the rate of license issuance has dropped uh, a little bit. They, they still issued more than they did in Q4 last year, but they're way down from their peak um, last summer and last fall. So that's what we'll be reporting on uh, next week
1: well looking forward to it and I want to thank everyone for joining us on today's podcast we're your host Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault